0: In a world overrun with an infinite amount of multiverses originating from a plethora of sources, a group of longtime friends band together and try to make sense of it all, and present it to an audience in an easy to digest podcast. This is
1: Geeking Off the Page.
0: Greetings and salutations, geeks. Welcome to another episode of Geeking Off the Page. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor. I'm the other host. I'm not Trevor. There you go. Trevor and not Trevor are on tonight. Um, I honestly cannot remember what episode this is, so through the magic of post-production, Troy will tell everyone what episode this is. Troy? 69, dudes! Thanks, Troy. Anyways, uh, so this week has been uh, quite the eventful week of things to watch and see. I'm going to let Mike kick it off with something that he's very excited about. And after watching the first episode, I'm going to say I'm excited too. Mike? Picard.
1: It's great. It's kind of like we have Star Trek back. I mean, I won't go as far to say it's the best Star Trek that's ever been done. But I will say it's the best actual Paramount Star Trek that's been done in the last couple of decades. It doesn't quite beat Orville. For the classic vibe, it's more a movie track. Yes. And, okay, first of all, Trevor, did you
0: watch the other Picard seasons? I started to watch season one and got, by the third episode, I was so bored of it. I just, I stopped watching. It was just, it was, it it almost felt like fanfic. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was just like someone like geeking out going, ooh, what if Picard did that?" And it was just like, this is crap. It really was. So I stopped watching. And, and that's then, the and, same vibe I had for the first season. Then, but I stuck through it to the end. And then someone said, well, second season's better, but I still I, I couldn't bring myself to care. Um, because it was the same production company. Everything was all the same. Same writers. Everything. I'm like, I, I don't see it getting that much better. Um, but then someone said, well, they've, they've done a huge revamp for season three. It's now Paramount running it. Um, and I was like, well let's give it a shot let's see what happens and yeah this i mean yeah i agree with you 100 this does feel like movie track as opposed to tv track. um i will say it did you can definitely see where they're like hey remember way back in the 80s and like like late 80s and early 90s we're doing like next gen and an out exterior shot of the ship cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars now they're like yeah these shots maybe run us 10 grand so let's let's throw some really beautiful shots in
1: and they did and that's one of the things where that's the palette of the star trek universe it's always been about that those kind of long establishing shots where it's just like woo spaceships isn't this fun with like the nice spaceship playing i know and it felt like star trek you know again a darker Star Trek with all the lights dimmed, like for some reason they can't afford, you know, (laughs) high power light bulbs in the future, but it felt right. Now, the first season, I was the same, where it just, it wasn't right. Like the characters weren't correct. The atmosphere wasn't correct. uh, It wasn't fun. Star Trek's always fun. Even when it deals with dark subject matter, there's an optimism and a sense of hope and mm-hmm. you enjoy watching it Picard wasn't that at all like the only time i had fun watching that is when hugh showed up and he was amazing in it i think he stole the show at least the episodes he was in mm-hmm. then when jonathan Frake showed up like when riker showed up it's like yeah. oh now i feel like i'm watching star trek again <laughs> you know data was good but the story was wrong and then, of course, they kill Picard and stick him in a golem robot body. It's like, oh, come on. And I was done. Yeah. The moment that happened, yeah. I tapped out. Uh, season two, I heard Q is back. I was like, oh, maybe he'll do a little snap and just rewrite the last season. No, he didn't. But there was some neat things where he showed up looking young and he realizes Picard got old, did the snap, and he became old as well. Um, but that's all I watched. Until I heard that Wesley showed up, so I tracked him down and he's a traveler and yada, yada, I don't care. Guy didn't show up again, yada, yada, don't care. So I was 100% not interested in this until a bunch of people that I listen to online who are just as bitter and crusty with hardened hearts <laughs> like me started saying, it's actually pretty good. And anytime that happens, when somebody is as bitter as you are and gives a little ray of hope, I'm like, huh, maybe I'll check this out. So I watched the first episode and thought, huh, this is pretty good. So I watched it with the whole family. The whole family was like, wow, this is really good. It's like, okay, so the whole family's on board. So let's watch it. So, yeah, three episodes in. And it's interesting because, like, obviously, with all the crap that's come out over the last two decades, there's only so much you can actually do with it right mm-hmm. so when this was handed over to Terry Metalis and obviously you could tell he's like a big Star Trek fan. He was involved with season two but he didn't have much control. But yeah he got the keys to the franchise and decided to basically do a finale the way it should be done given all the again two decades of crap. It's like okay how do I work yeah. with this and kind of polish this into a little gem. And he's doing it, as far as I'm concerned. So, the fact that he's bringing back all the original Next Generation cast is amazing. I mean, spoilers—you haven't seen Warf yet. Well, I saw the—I
0: saw like upcoming in the season of of Picard. And the, I saw Warf. I saw Jordy. I saw, um, yeah. So like, yeah. yeah. So you
1: know they're coming. So there's Warf. been a lot of talk online about how now Warf's a pacifist and. That's something that where you can kind of like roll your eyes and think like, oh, geez, you know, they're kind of ruining the hardcore he characters look
0: like a pacifist when he was cutting people to pieces. Yes. Yeah. So I don't think he's a pacifist. I think he's more of a would prefer to keep his blade in the sheath, less right. hot tempered like the, or the old wharf, like through, you know, next gen and deep space nine where he was still like riding the edge of his emotions. I think now that he's older, he has perspective. Yeah. And he realizes he doesn't have to be the one to charge into battle first. He's not the one that has to strike first. He just has to be ready to parry the blade, like parry the shot and counterattack with appropriate response, which means gutting the fool who attacked him. Right. So he's trying to keep the peace. Yeah. So I don't think he
1: realizes, like
0: he sees the Federation way. Yeah. So I don't think he's a pacifist. I don't think he's like, oh, I'm never going to fight again. I think it's more of a case of, doesn't want to fight because he realizes Fighting is not going to solve it. But if someone does take a swing at him, you know, you better dig a grave because you're going to be flopping into it after you face him. Oh, yeah. Like when he shows
1: up, it's like a full on Cuisinart going on. It's like, oh, that's yeah, my so, wharf. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just from the quick scene I saw, I was like, he's no pacifist. Yeah. And again, Jonathan Frakes. OK, because Patrick Stewart, you know, obviously he's getting older. He's, mm-hmm. He can hear it in his voice and he's not quite the same Picard that we would have had you know say they did this 10 years ago yeah but jonathan frakes he's totally the
0: spirit of what star trek should be now i I said i've only seen the first episode and i like the fact that um you know riker is he's a captain without a ship so he is a captain he's supposed to have a ship at this point but some, you know, the ship that he had, he's now a guest on sort of thing. So something has happened, his, you know, Cavalier ways, something has, you know, when a sh- when a captain loses their ship and has to wait for a replacement ship to be named Captain, of, that means either they did something so spectacular, they're like, we want to give you a better ship, or they've done something, they're like, ooh, we got to beat you for a while, Um, let the heat die down, and we're going to put you on a, a, a less... Um well-known ship, you know, we still want your command skills, but we don't want the the bad press that comes with it. Yeah. And judging from the, the new captain of the Titan, who calls him a bunch, you know, a couple of cowboys, obviously recorded did something. So it's yeah. it's nice that we see the characters post-next generation, which was funny because this episode's called the next generation, but which post is great. Next, yeah, post-next generation. And you can even from that short interaction, you could pretty much just map out Riker's career since you know leaving the Enterprise. You know, that he's he's taken command of a couple of ships, and you know, his his freewheeling ways and his his willingness to get the job done has kind of not helped his career in the best way. He's not an admiral yet. It's
1: kind of interesting if you look at it as a long story thread, mm-hmm. because back in the original TV series. You know, he was rising through the ranks faster than anybody else. The whole series, they were constantly trying to give him his own ship. And he's like, nah, I'm happy on the Enterprise. Yeah. No, this is good. If I'm gonna get a ship, I'm gonna get the flagship. No, yeah. And but it's kind of weird that now at his age,
0: and and at his age, I mean it's almost like like Top Gun Maverick. At his age, he should be an admiral at this point. He should be a, a ranking admiral, and he's still a captain. So he is pulled some shit that have held him back rank-wise.
1: Or um, he just wants to cruise around the galaxy. Like, he doesn't he, want to be I mean, down. that was
0: Captain Kirk's thing, is he didn't want to become an admiral because they wouldn't let him in the chair anymore. He'd be flying a desk and not a starship. But I think in Riker's case, I think he's pulled pulled a couple of shenanigans that didn't quite... You know, he, he got the job done, but he might have bent a couple of rules to get it done. So... Which kind of fits with his character style, yeah. Yeah.
1: So One I, thing I love about the first episode is that it starts with Beverly Crusher. Yes, and that's so neat. That's like, okay, well, where are we going to go from here? No, you don't start with Picard sitting around
0: a vineyard. No, no, no like straight you, to the you action. You need something to to kick the action off to get him off the vineyard, and yeah. it it was the perfect thing. Like he's he was all set to to go on almost like a vacation, and you know sit down at a beach and write his memoirs and then, oh, well, this is the spark of the, this is something to break him out of the mundane. This is the the start of a true story.
1: And even when he's looking for, you know, where the message is coming from and he finds the communicator, but all the other Easter eggs mm-hmm. as he's going through all the gear and, you know, it's fan service, but it's also done in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I remember that thing. I remember that thing. I remember that thing.
0: Yeah. It's so much fun. And I think they probably we, had fun like rivaling through the, 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 the prop where I was finding oh yeah oh, this. what about this? We can put this in a case and people can see it. Yeah, it's, it's it was great.
1: Now in season two, if you don't mind do you mind spoilers? Oh
0: spoil it away. I'm okay. I'm probably never gonna go back and watch the rest of season one or season two. So
1: okay, so in basically because everybody who was reviewing it was talking about there's a moment with just two characters looking at each other with no dialogue and said just how powerful it was. So I was waiting for this, but at the end of season or at the end of uh, episode two for season three, it's when Beverly and Picard see each other and they just look at each other through the ship. And again, no lines of dialogue, just amazing acting just through the eyes and the face. Mm-hmm. And they basically by looking at each other, tell each other the 20 years that have happened and they realize what everything means and just has an audience watching that. You feel it. And how yeah. amazing is that in an era where it's always tell, don't show. Yeah. But this, they're not telling you a damn thing. You're just well, watching the expressions on the face and you understand exactly what's going on. Well,
0: things Picard's kind of set that up nicely when they're, they're on the bunk beds. And he said like the last time he saw Beverly and how it was, not on they parted on basically very terrible terms and that's why he was so shocked to receive a, a, a distress signal from her of all people to him and then you could see it when he wiped away the, the condensation on the on the stasis pod and saw her face you could see he was like this is her and you could almost see the conflict like if she was awake and i can speak to her what do i say like Do you reopen an old wound? Do you say the wrong thing? Do you just try with a start with a a simple platitude? Like, how do you start that conversation? Like when you've parted on some with good terms, it's easy enough to kind of slip back into the groove and everything's fine. But when it's parted on bad terms, you're like, oh, are they still are they holding the grudge? Am I holding the grudge? Is the grudge still being held? Are we even going to acknowledge the grudge? So yeah, it's it's a lot of like walking on eggshells.
1: Yeah. And then on the ship, the fact that you have um Alondra Laforge, majority mm-hmm. so LaForge's daughter, which is played by LeVar Burton's actual daughter. Yeah. So Micah. Um
0: and that's help helps the uh, you know the resemblance thing.
1: Yeah, and that's such a neat thing. Um oh what's his name? The captain of the ship. Oh god. Uh well, I have it here. Uh uh, Shaw, Liam Shaw,
0: yeah, and he's an amazing character, yeah, he is. I mean, that's Stashwick, yeah, um, that Tritanium t- Rod is so far up his
1: ass. And this is another spoiler that I heard from people who have reviewed the whole thing because I thought, like, geez, what an asshole this captain is. But everybody talks about the redemption arcs of all these characters where they set them up in a way that you just want to smack him across the face. Mm-hmm. But then by the end of the series, they've gone through this
0: arc where you're rooting well, he, for them he, and cheering for he them. He strikes me as a character who has, you know, he lives the Starfleet manual. He has dotted all his I's, crossed all his T's, you know, done his his work as he goes up the ranks. Now he has a ship. And and he also seems bitter towards all these old legends. Yeah, he's that's just it. He has kind of gone through the ranks in an era where you know he missed all the excitement um i've read many like war books where you get a character who like they enlist right at the end of the war and by the time they finally get through boot camp and everything the war is over and then you've got all these people walking around with like a chest full of medals and they're there, and all they have is like their their basic like, oh, I went through basic training ribbons. And and basically in their minds, they missed all the excitement. They missed yeah. the chance for glory. But and they're doing they, their duty and they're doing, doing you duty. for
1: having all the fun and all the. Yeah. Recognition. And they
0: they basically they missed all the fun. They missed all the excitement. They missed all the glory. And they have a chip on their shoulder against those who actually served, not realizing the horror that these people went through to get those medals on their chest. But all they can see is the, the the tin on their chest and go, well, why couldn't, what you know, fate conspired against me, that so I can't do that. And now it's all calm. There is no big war. There is no big battles that I can get the medals on my chest for. And so he's carrying that grudge of, like, how dare you come on my ship and try to relive your glory days when I wasn't around for the, that sort of shenanigans. And so, yeah, I'm hopefully... You know they're gonna pull 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 him into some shenanigans, and he'll he'll uh, you know let his sphincter loosen a bit and let that rod go away and kind of yeah.
1: Well, I will say episode three things go completely to hell, and he's right. not in a good spot. Um, another character is Rafi, which I absolutely hated in the first season, and again didn't really watch in the second season, but I heard Jeez. it got worse. And this is a character they set her up to be just as dislikable As she was back in season one. Mm -hmm. So as soon as she showed up on screen, I'm like, oh, God, help me. She's in this one, too. But again, everybody says that she has a great redemption arc. And so it's neat that she's doing all this undercover Starfleet work, like intelligence work. And getting all this information from her handler, which, spoilers, is Worf. Yeah, I figured that.
0: Yeah. Second, second in in, in, in the first episode, that you were a warrior. I'm like, that's Worf. That's a hundred percent. That's how Worf, in his mindset, that's how he he yeah. pushes people. Oh, you're a warrior. Whoa, woohoo! de do. See,
1: I didn't see that coming, but it was interesting going back and reading all the dialogue in Worf's voice rather mm-hmm. than the female voice. I was giving her the orders. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, obviously.
0: Now so I what... I have kind of figured out the the MacGuffin already. Some sort of portaling technology because they they it made a portal around that starfleet building dropped it into the portal and then a new portal opened up over top and dropped all the debris out so i'm guessing it's some some sort of portal i think just like back in the next generation there was that that cloak warp um uh phasing module that starfleet was trying to develop and riker's old captain was part of it and so yeah this is probably some sort of offshoot variant of that where you know you can create a portal and fire like a phaser through it and then make it come at a different angle or portal half your ship somewhere else to do something and then pull it you know something like
1: well that. a couple spoilers from episode three is they address that and they're saying it's like this is a, di- a diversion like this whole weapon prototype stuff that they're doing, like there's something way bigger than this going on., okay. so that's cool. So that kind of got me excited. It's not just about the you know, the one secret bomb that can destroy everything. It's like mm-hmm. no, it gets way more complicated. Okay. And another thing getting into spoiler territory is stuff starts going wrong on the ship, and it's so oh, like there's a saboteur, a saboteur of some sort. And then Worf and Raffi are dealing with this guy, and he's, like, tweaking out, like, he's on drugs. And then his face shifts. He's
0: like, <laughs> oh, so he's, like, one of the the, the Dominion
1: changeling guys. Exactly. And oh, okay. Worf, Worf says, it's like, well, I have a contact in the Great Link who sent me this information. It's like, Odo, oh, no, obviously. Yeah. So, like, yeah, basically, Odo sent the information to Worf. Worf's been doing deep cover. He doesn't know how deeply the Federation has been infiltrated by the Dominion. And it's like okay, now like you know this is getting interesting. So the and even the fact that it's pulling from everything now, it's like next generation, mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all these like elements are kind of coalescing together into this final send off. It's so exciting. <laughs> I just have so much fun with it, and it's fun to watch. The characters are authentic; they're not pushing any sort of weird social agenda. You know, like because of course Star Trek always addresses social issues. Yeah, they always do. But they're not, you know, like pushing the agenda. They're just like, okay, here's some things to think about. Mm-hmm.
0: And all this stuff is done like that. So yeah, I'm having so much fun with this. Awesome. Yeah, I said I've only seen the first episode and I'm having a great time with it. It's it's been a lot of fun so far. Then
1: another thing I heard from people who have reviewed the whole thing ahead of time. Is that the whole series is essentially one big movie. Okay. So the first, I say, three episodes are set up. The middle is, you know, where all the mm-hmm. things go to hell. And then it ends on one of the greatest finale action sequences
0: of well, all I, of Star Trek. I did see that every two episodes, so like episode one and two is directed by one person. Episode three and four is another person. Yeah. So that by limiting the number of directors, it's not a bunch of different voices shouting their agendas back and forth. It's pretty consistent. Yeah, like and this. that the the, the main showrunner, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Metallus. Uh, yeah, he wrote a lot of the episodes, but he also is the director and writer of the last two. Yeah, or I know he's the writer of the first one and the last one, but he's the director of the last two episodes. Yep. So, gotta wait and see. But that's like in april those will come out those episodes yeah in april damn you paramount for releasing weekly
1: um okay, so three and four is directed by jonathan frakes so oh, that's okay. fun too yeah and then the uh trailer shows like moriarty in it oh, from the the oh cool the holodeck. so i'm like wondering how the hell that fits into everything
0: well we'll see we'll see yeah and how's data come back or is it lore I, I think well uh, Jordy both. yelled lore, so like lore damn like you bastard or something like that. So yeah. But who knows? We'll see. Have to wait and see. No, yeah, if this... if
1: you're a hardcore Star Trek fan, you would bring data back somehow. Yeah, you have to.
0: And not the cheesy way they did it in the film. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how this sh- where the show goes. So yeah, I'm having a good time with it. It's so nice to be excited about Star Trek again. <laughs> It is. It is. Um,
1: uh, unfortunately, though, this will probably be the end of it.
0: Yeah, probably. Unless say, well, you know, I, unless
1: Paramount I, gets so much money from this that they keep uh, Metalis in charge of Star Trek, maybe they'll do that. But I
0: yeah, know. I did read that. Um, um, this is supposed to be. Uh, what was it? He wants Matthias wants this. However you say his name? It says this is, wants to be a satisfying ending for Picard's story which probably means he's going to die in some fashion or ride out in the sunset or retire for good and the whole next generation cast. But the cast has said they are interested in doing more past season three. So I have to wait and see. So, yeah. All right. On to other stuff. So this week on Wednesday uh, marked the return of the Mandalorian. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, episode one of season three, Mike. Unfortunately, I did. You did. All right. I did not enjoy it. You did not enjoy it. You... I like the fact that we started out with the armor forging a helmet, then we find out it's for a foundling, and then the giant crocodile shows up, and then you know they're the group of Mandalorians were um, not doing well. I saw at least two go down that things. Why well, did nobody fire a rocket down the throat? I don't, I guess they didn't have any rockets. Um, they had flamethrowers, but it's that's like, you know, waving a match in, in comparison to the size. And then, you know, along comes. And then they're shooting grappling hooks on it. Yeah. Well, go- what they are you planning to it. do with that? They're going to ride it, I guess. Sandworm time. Um, and then Din comes along with his ship, and turns out it, the, 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 the crocodile is not as resistant to blaster fire when it comes from a vehicle. Who knew? yeah so yeah he ends up gutting it and then they're like oh you're still banished because you're whatnot." and then he that's when he says his plan is he's going to go to Mandalore um, and have a bath okay yes. so and
1: this is where I get into a big problem so Boba Fett I didn't like the series but I thought the two Mandalorian episodes were really good mm-hmm. And getting Fett. a new ship so why weren't those the first two episodes of this it would make a lot more sense. This is a problem I have. If you have a series, whether mm-hmm. it's a TV series, a comic book series, a movie series, if you're going to call it The Mandalorian, I should be able to watch The Mandalorian all the way through and it makes sense. Yeah. Last time we watched The Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker went and took away Baby Yoda.
0: hmm And now suddenly he's back and he's got a new ship. It's like, what the hell happened? Yeah. So I think I think those two episodes of Boba Fett should have been moved to The Mandalorian and put two episodes of more episodes of both. I think it's just a case of they were like, we need some filler here, and hey, let's let's discuss how Mandalorian gets around from now on. Um, I do like the fact that he wants to reactivate IG Eleven because he feels he kind of owes him. See, I didn't like that because Although he's the, a robot. The, the only thing is, is it was a thermal detonator that came out, or at least his core or something. I don't see there being and it was anything. in lava, right? Yeah. I don't see there being much like even anything left enough other than maybe a lens or two or maybe a housing. That's sort the of thing. I was like, no, his his sacrifice was great. I, I think it's partly they just want to bring Takiti Watiti back for the, to do the voice, whatever. Um but, you could but it, still do that. It's a robot. It's like yeah. you
1: drive your I don't know, you drive your Lamborghini into a volcano. You get another down. one. Yeah, you buy a new one. Well, but I really
0: like the oh. voice. Fine, put the voice. Yeah, yeah, put the voice in. So, um, we did get to see the fact that Bo-Katan lives in a very, um, empty, empty, and and austere sort of uh fortress, and where she's just kind of being a punk ass bitch. None of we have the sword. Everyone left when I didn't get this. I mean, if you need a sword to be the leader, you're a Piss poor fucking leader. It's a simple. And especially
1: because the dude was going to give it to you. Yeah, he was like, "I have to fight okay, you here, for it, though."
0: Yeah, I have to fight you for it. Well, okay, then here, just slap me on the wrist, knock it out of my hand. It's yours. Like he didn't want it. it yeah. was obvious he didn't want it. But she knew I don't have it, and everyone ran away. What I fucking want. I mean, it was just like, but, oh, you God. should have fought him then. Like, what the yeah. hell? He could have said right there, "Well, do you want a duel for it right now? Come on, bitch! You know, bring it." Yeah, Um, but you know she's gonna show up he's gonna get there and she's gonna show up anyway at the last minute to like save the day oh you're you inspired me garbage um so I'm, i'm hoping it gets better um but i doubt it one thing i always said about mandalorian is
1: even though i really enjoyed it like seasons one and two is it felt like a video game side quest you have the original trilogy, which is the main adventure. Mm-hmm. And
0: then this is kind of like a side quest thing. It's like, well, it's I, not really the, the main second, story. I, it's kind I, of fun. I think the second they destroyed the Razor's Crest, it didn't make sense for him to be a bounty hunter at all. Because how, how is he supposed to transport the people? Like, is he like compacting them down into a like a, a soccer ball size and like shoving them up into like a little hole? Like, it. Unless
1: you make like a weird cargo coffin to transport bodies, I, yeah, yeah
0: I, I, it's like, hey, I'm going to be a like an international pilot in my Cessna that I have to stop every three, four hundred miles and refuel, and can only carry two people. It's not going to be a great airline, nor a fast one. It just get a get a, a vehicle more appropriate to what you're going to be doing. So, yeah, if they, you know, destroying the Razor Crest is one thing. He should have gotten a different, like military style transport ship, but it not giving him a, you know, it just didn't make sense for the Naboo starfighter. It really, yeah, it's a nice fast ship, and they they can really do the hot rod engine sounds. It's got the kick ass afterburner, but it doesn't make sense for a bounty hunter to use a ship like that. Like maybe have that ship dock inside the li- larger transport vessel he has. So when he needs to, he can break out the hot rod and, and you know, burn rubber and, and shit like that. But it, that's part of the writing that I'm still a little like, I know you want to make a toy of this and you could, but you could have made a bigger toy. with that toy comes out and people be happy. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping they fix this. We're, we've only seen episode one um, so far. And but it's...
1: the thing is, it doesn't even feel like a side quest. Like this is even less than a side quest. This is the... So far, what I got from the story is nobody likes the Mandalorian because he hasn't had a bath yet. So he has to go take a bath. And he needs a robot to help him take a bath. Like that's the summary of
0: episode one. Yeah. I, I kind of felt that. Um I just like the fact that he's back because I think what we've been being given so far in, in lieu of has not been all that great. Um, but I just hope it gets better, but I'm I'm just glad he's back. Um, I
1: will yeah. say the visuals were nice. I was looking at all the special effects and stuff.
0: It's like they, they hold up. They hold up really well. Nice effects for a crap story. Yeah. Um, now speaking of crap stories, um, somehow I got convinced into watching the latest episode of The Bad Batch, which I have given up on. By the way, I have. I just oh. I didn't get through episode one. Well, the last episode that I liked was the the racing one, which was a while back. Anyways, so this one, um, episode 10, 11, 12, 11. I'm looking at here. 11. So they have this whole thing where they they have this electricity monster that's being transported for cloning. But then it, well, let me back it up. This the episode kicks off with a ship suddenly coming out of hyperspace, and it's like dusty, and you know, ed- no one's at the helm. And I'm like, wow, I'm watching Warhammer 40k Space Hulk, um, where you have like ships suddenly mis- appear out of the warp, and they're they're infested with with beasts that are you know going to to kill like like tyrannids or whatnot. And then they cut to inside the ship, and it's a a trooper running around with a shock rod, and something's stalking him. I'm like. Yeah, they really, someone, whoever wrote this episode, really liked watching, you know, aliens and Warhammer 40k Space Hulk stuff. And then it cuts into a rescue, or not a rescue, a a salvage mission. And they get on there, and this creatures on there. I'm like, 100% Space Hulk. And it gets free, and now it's going to threaten the town. I'm like, yeah, it's 100% Space Hulk. And then, yeah, and then they have this little side thing of what they're trying to clone it for some purpose why you want to clone a monster that eats electricity but they're saying the armors deflect blasters but I, I don't know It's. I have to say the Bad Batch is so muddled in terms of what the story they want to tell I thought you were just going to say bad no because that would give it a, some sort of service Um, no it's just it's we because we never hear of this group in any of the other star wars shows like they're not even referenced these guys made no impact in or lasting impact that their names would be remembered or their deeds remembered it was unfortunate
1: okay now, now just, this this brings up an interesting conversation point and because that's exactly it if you're going to tell a prequel story but a bunch of people that didn't make a difference Mm -hmm. like where's the interest in that yeah yeah now there's ways you can do it if you go back far enough and see where it's a different story it's a different generation it's a different war yeah i would have
0: preferred the bad batch to have been uh a unit of elite soldiers in the old republic that they were the ones that you know they may, you know, initially we think, okay, okay, they're working for the Republic. And then we find out later, no, they're actually working for the Sith. They're recovering Sith artifacts. They're the ones that are setting up the power play that Darth Plagueis eventually gets. And Darth Sidious, you know, finally brings to fruition. These are the guys who are making it happen. So they are not remembered, but their deeds lead to stuff that is remembered. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. But this, I think it's like again this little narrow minded. Well, we have to put everything after Jedi, but before this, or before, or the, before after this, but, but like after Episode three, but before Episode four. Like guys, yes, there's a little bit of gap between each of those things, but not everything has to happen in there. There's twenty five thousand plus years before Episode one. Why not do some stuff in there? You know, why not? And then you can actually be creative and Mm -hmm.
1: do something that's... Now, I will
0: say, I'm going to quickly jump back to Mandalorian. The one thing I did like is they're in hyperspace, and Grogu is sitting in the little observation bubble where a droid would be, and you see the, the hyperspace whales. You see their silhouettes as they're kind of like gliding along, and then you see that there's more of them. And this is alluding back to Star Wars Rebels where Ezra Bridger summoned the whales when he was fighting Thrawn and thrust him and Thrawn in the ship into hyperspace without a hyperdrive through the power of these whales. Now, I know that Ahsoka is going to take care of the Ezra Bridger-Thrawn thing when her live-action series happens, but it was nice to see that Grogu can sense these whales in hyperspace. It was just a nice little Easter egg to kind of tie those things together. Yeah, I knew that stuff was done in the like that previous show, but
1: I don't know. It just I don't know. It seems like fan fiction to me. It doesn't yeah. feel like Star Wars. It it's kind of out of place. It seems like a Star Trek thing, not so much a Star Wars. Yeah, I can thing. see that thing. Yeah, and another thing. Okay, while we're talking about Mandalorian again, is the whole kind of cult of the Mandalorians with the You can never take off your helmet. If you take off your helmet, you have to have a bath. It's just kind of empty, meaningless jargon. It doesn't have any sort of, you know, like the uh, Joseph Campbell deep meaning. Yeah, but this this is more of the Jim
0: Jones Kool-Aid sort of bullshit. You know, they've got a a, a narrow little sect that has their little rules that they have that they all have to abide by. Um, And that's just the way they're going to live it like that's it's that's their 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 nexus their you know that's their their rules they live by meanwhile all the other people from mandalore are like man those guys are just wow that kool-aid must taste real good um yeah so it's kind of funny to see that when you know especially like when, like in previous season man when mandalorian meets up with uh, what's her face and says you know you took your helmet off um, that means you're not a Mandalorian anymore. And she's like, you follow a very narrow sect. Um, how terrible for you. And I was kind of hoping that after, you know, the, the armor says you, you can be a Mandalorian no more. And he's like, it would have been nice to him to have said, I'm a, I'm, I am a Mandalorian. I've received the training and, and all the other stuff because I took my helmet off and broke a rule that you people abide doesn't mean doesn't strip me of my identity so see,
1: know uh, how cool it'd be if he took his helmet off while he said that yeah he's like normally i hate it when people take their helmets off
0: but that would kind of be cool <laughs> see i mean i personally detested like so jumping back to what you know way back in the 90s judge Dredd with sylvester stallone <laughs> yes i remember seeing that in the theaters i mean the war robot was kind of kind of cool uh, the ABC robot or whatever I think it was called. Um, but, yeah, you knew the second that Judge Dread was being played by Stallone, that helmet was not staying on. Like, someone had already clipped the chin strap. You know, he was going to sneeze. It was going to roll off his head. Something to that effect. Um, but you knew that it was just going to be... His face was going to come out m- immediately. Um. Yeah, it's ABC Warrior, I think is the, the, the robot type. It looked cool, it was a, a cool looking design. Um, but that was basically the only cool thing in that whole damn movie because yeah, Stallone was just like uh so the when they re- when they redid the Judge Dredd with Carl Urban and he never took the helmet off the entire fucking movie. I still haven't seen that. That's a You've... movie everybody says it's great. And that they actually did it right. It is a a very faithful translation of the British comic book Judge Dredd to, to screen. He is humorless. He is very literal. Like he doesn't take sarcasm or stuff like that well. And he never takes his helmet off. You never see, you see his jaw and his mouth and that's it. That's the only thing you see of him.
1: I appreciate actors that are willing to do that.
0: Yeah. So that's, I was like, when I watched where it's it, more I, about
1: I the character than about themselves.
0: I, I I was like, at some point he's going to pop the helmet off. Like he's going to injury. He's going to pop the helmet. Or he's going to say something to Hershey and she's going to tenderly lift the helmet off. You're going to see most of his face mm-hmm. and he's going to never happen. He never broke character. He never took the helmet off. And I was like, that is such a commitment. It is a travesty that that movie has not had a sequel because he Played Judge Dredd as he should have been, not the Stallone version of Judge Dredd where it was like, I'm gonna talk, take this helmet off, no one can see my face. Yeah, I thought it was just Demolition Man Part Two, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, this week was uh, Mandalorian and Bad Batch in terms of Star Wars. I don't. I mean, I was happy to see the Return of Mandalorian. I wasn't like, I'm not doing jumping jacks and backflips because of how good the episode was. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. Did you catch any movies at all this week, Mike? I did not. Oh, well, I happened to catch two. One was on Netflix called We Have a Ghost. And I think I had posted the trailer for this in our, our chat section. Um, Dave Harbor is a ghost and it's, it starts off. So movie starts off with, family um here's moaning and groaning and suddenly lights are going on in the house and they they all flee the house and go leave one year later this this really um terrible real estate agent is trying to sell this house to this 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 family just yeah and she's all like and they're like it's something i mean it's well below market value is there something like something bad happened the house and the look on her face of like uh ah, uh ah, ah, look at these floors <laughs> yeah um, because I found out actually real estate agents are not allowed to, um, if you ask them directly, did something bad, Is that they can't lie. Because if you catch them, that actually can negate a real estate contract. Anyways, so it turns out, um, you know, there's two young boys, uh, younger boys, uh, the younger of the two boys, he's up in the attic when, when the ghost tries to scare them and he laughs. And he's like filming it with his phone. He's like, dude, my life is so much worse that y- you're moaning and groaning is not scaring me. Eventually, uh, he actually communicates with the ghost, who he names Ernest because of the name on the the bowling shirt he's wearing. Um, his older brother posts the video of the ghost online, which brings him a lot of attention. And I'm not I'm not going to give away the movie because it's a fun movie. It really is. It's it's a fun movie to watch. It's on Netflix. So is it more a comedy? Or... Yes. It's it's, yeah. it's it's not a horror movie in any way, shape, or form. It's more of like a a, a delightful little you know comedy. Okay. Um, yeah and it's, it's got a good cast of characters there is a couple of little plot twists of like how the ghost became like how the guy became a ghost and his backstory and stuff because he can't remember anything um, he can with concentration interact with the physical world for the most part he kind of like float floats through things but he can't remember his own name he doesn't remember anything of his past um, so yeah yeah so uh it's it was a fun little movie we have a ghost on Netflix so I'm gonna recommend it as a nice family movie you know it's nothing heavy it's no not like a deep dive or some psychological anything it just turn off your brain eat some popcorn and have a fun time with a ghost movie now the other movie I saw uh which came out on Peacock yes peacock uh it's been in theaters for a while uh made On a budget of twelve million, made one hundred and seventy three million. So this movie did pretty well. More than Ant Man. Yeah, Uh, it is called Megan M three G A N, with a creepy little girl and the it's model three something Android, is how the I can't remember what the G means. Anyway, um, so it all starts out with this little girl loses her parents to a car accident. She's sent to live with her aunt who just happens to be a roboticist at a high-tech uh, toy company. Um, and she uses the company's resources to make Megan um, this child-sized humanoid doll of human of artificial intelligence and kind of presents it to her, um, to her, her, uh, what's her name? Katie uh, gives it to Katie kind of like, it's something for her to connect with a companion because she's so busy at work. She's like, all right, um, you know, Katie, have fun with Megan. Megan, keep Katie happy. And she makes the mistake of telling her that you have to protect Katie, which Megan, with the the AI she has, takes as protect Katie from everybody. Um, like at one point there's this kid bullying her and uh, Megan like rips an ear off him. She's like bullies like you can't seem to listen and she's got a hold of his ear and she pulls it a good six to eight inches the skin is just stretched and then she kind of like pushes him off or she rips the ear off and then she looks at the ear in her hand and goes flick behind her like that's unimportant um yeah she she just um and the thing is she chases the kid but she didn't kill the kid Let happenstance do it by chasing him right to the road. He falls on the road, and the car goes right over top the kid. So her hands are metaphorically clean of the death, I guess. Um, yeah, she and the way they did the face of this robot is so creepy, like, leans hard into that uncanny valley to make you feel unsettled. Every time you look at her face, you're like like the shivers running up and down your spine. And then when she like looks, locks eyes to the camera, you're like, Oh yeah. Yee. Um, this one again, I'm not going to spoil all the fun little twists and turns, but there is a lot of twists and turns. This is one very malevolent AI that is following its directive to keep Katie safe. Um, and is not above eliminating these threats. Not, oh, we'll push the threat to the side. It's like, no, if we kill the threat, the threat can't come back. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think this is a case of like bad decision-making on the part of, of the aunt to how she she directed Megan to protect Katie. She should have been a little bit more verbose. Like, like when you're making a wish in d d you really want to cover all the angles. You just want to say <laughs> I want to be around forever because then you're turned into a statue. Um you really want to cover the angles so you get what you want with a minimum amount of fuckery. Um yeah, she didn't do that. She, obviously the ant didn't play enough D&D or think about if I get a genie, how am I going to word these wishes so I don't get like terrible things. Right.
1: So, so
0: how would you uh rank that movie? I or it's it's it, there is a lot of creativity in it. I would give this movie a solid seven point five out of ten, maybe even an eight out of ten. Okay. It's it was it was a fun watch, and they I I just feel that the the writers didn't just you know dredge up all the 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 generic tropes. They were like, what are some inventive ways we can use this character with the the uniqueness of this character what are some different things we can do and they they pulled it off really well so and the the person who is megan um wow just like the i mean there's a whole thing where it's it's megan's laying on the ground and doesn't get up like a person would just kind of like as a robot would just you know activates joints and uses leverage and and body weight and the fact that the The servos and the joints have incredible amount of strength and just kind of creepily like sets itself back up onto its feet. If you ever see a clip of it, you're like, well, I'm weirded out. It's official. Did not move like a human. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you get a chance to see it, I heartily recommend it. It's just nice and unsettling enough that you really just think like, ooh, yeah, I, that didn't move. That doesn't move right. And. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and there's a whole dance sequence where it dances and you're just, again, completely creeped out. You're like, um, that didn't move right. That didn't move right at all. That shouldn't exist. And it does. So, Yeah. So if you get a chance to, to to see some of this stuff, um, yeah, my my recommendation is is see Megan. As I said, I believe it's on Peacock right now. So if you get a chance to see it, please do. Um, anything else you want to add, Mike?
1: Uh, the only other show I've watched recently is Baruto. And? And you, you were talking about is the how It was damn the of...
0: good. End of of, uh, newspaper filler and and now some real story stuff. It is. So it's been three episodes in and
1: nothing really has happened. But it's been so good. And that's where, you know, the writing is starting to get, you know, get good because they're aiming for this big climax and -hmm. they're setting up all the pieces on the chessboard. So they've introduced who the new big bad villain is going to be. He's getting his minions, and they're showing how powerful they are. Everybody in the Leaf Village is just kind of hanging out. Anytime it gets quiet, you know things are about to go to hell. And so the kids are all training. Um, Kwaki and Boruto. So Boruto has his karma mark still. Mm-hmm. So he he's still the vessel of the Otsosuki. So Momoshiki basically can possess his body at any time and take over him. Um, but he still has all these godlike powers. Kawaki lost his karma because the Shiki, the other Otsutsuki, died. Mm-hmm. But in the latest episode, they explain how, you no, know, like your body is kind of like the house. The karma is the door. You mm-hmm. know, the Otsusuki can walk through the door. When he died, the door closed, but you're still a vessel. Like all these powers are still inside you. And so this Kawaki, who they kind of set up as this weird quirky kid, was basically raised to be a vessel for these space Otsutsuki ninja dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, so he's all kind of in the head, but the Naruto took him in as a son. So he's like an adopted son, and he's learning to live in the village. And now Kawaki wants to protect Naruto at all costs, because this is the guy who's finally been like a father figure to him and accepted him. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, Bruto now has this karma mark, which is the bad guys. So it's like, look, don't worry. If you turn into a bad guy, I'll kill you. That's like, it's cool. Like, <laughs> Thanks. You know, it's good. <laughs> it's, so, but now they're setting it up where uh, I think Kwaki is about to leave the village, allegedly, according to my spoiler son. And things are going to start going to hell really soon. So they these big fights, possible main character deaths, and eventually, it's going to hit this time skip jump. And uh, if you watch the first episode of Bruto, right? Or yeah. just Naruto. Anyways, where they're fighting on the statues of the of the cliff wall of all the Hokages. Everything's destroyed. And Boruto seems to be wearing Sasuke's cloak. And he's wearing the headband, which is double scarred. He's got a scar over his eye. And Kuwaki's saying, it's like, I'm going to send you to the spot I sent the Hokage. Which sounds like he killed him. Mm-hmm. But if he's protecting him, maybe sent him to like a different dimension or whatever. Like who knows? <laughs> but anyways, crap's about to go down, which is really fun. And um another spoiler, I guess, is one of the animators, like the old school Naruto animators is coming back. Mm-hmm. And I might be saying this wrong. Hiruku Yamash- Yamashita. Um, I guess he did a whole bunch of my favorite fight sequences, according to my son. It's like, dad, remember that fight you liked? Yeah, he did it. And remember this one? Yeah, he did that one too. And so I guess he's gotten so big in animation. He just as feature film stuff now, but he's coming back for these next episodes. So hopefully they will be mind blowing. So yeah, new episode coming out in a couple hours. All right. So i excited good. for that one.
0: Now, I don't know if you, um, I know Troy does. So there's a, a uh, YouTube uh, channel, uh, Corridor Crew. It's a VFX company in LA. Uh, they do a lot of like their own stuff. Uh, oh yeah, I've
1: watched their stuff. Yeah, they so do they all the just, breakdowns
0: and yeah, so they just recently did this whole um, anime of rock paper scissors. But what they did is they shot it like with costumes on green screens, and then used AI generated imagery to kind of. Take the images and then put it into like a Vampire Hunter D style. And if you watch the, the, on YouTube, the, the behind the scenes of how they did it and how they taught the AI, like the, the AI stuff to, to use the, the, the footage and go from live action to the, this anime style and how they diffuse the shots and whatnot to control the shadows and the flickers and whatnot. But the, the problem is, they they made a video called Did We Just Change Animation Forever. And they said that we came up with a new way to animate, way to turn reality into cartoon. Um, and it's a big step towards true creative freedom where we can make wherever we want. Because he talked about how traditionally hand-drawn animation is a large group of people and it's a large amount of money and takes a long, long time to do. And they were able to do this shoot like over a weekend and take about a week or so to. Use AI generated images to kind of put this all together in this Vampire Hunter D style, um, and I don't know what your feelings are on it. Um, I will say, um, oh, let's see. So, some people were talking about, like, um, so there was a, a there's a Dragon Ball Z fan film called Dragon Ball Legends that was an indie studio took them like four years to make. Um, so corridor digital did this in like a week. And I think part of the problem is, is so they said they used all vampire hunter D bloodlust images to train the AI to this style. But if you look at it, like there's a lot of flickering shadows that this part of the thing they were trying to do, um, and they tried to get people in the industry to say, well, you know, what do you think about this? Um, and someone had, had made the comment of, it just, what was it? This feels like a way for tech guys to force their way into the artist circle while so- simultaneously stealing actual artists' work to use for their AI to learn off of. Um, show this to actual animators that visit them, see how they'll react. Um, and the, the guy who actually directed... Uh, Netflix's Castlevania series Uh, what's his name Samuel Dietz so he made the comment of y'all didn't um demacritize shit you're just lazy thieves spitting on an entire art form fuck you (laughs) that's his his response um you know you're just stealing and exploiting other people's hard work Letting your computer run it through its AI bullshit and then say, "Ooh, look, we're we're animating." No, you're, you're not, because you you shot it all live action in costumes, and you know made 3D backgrounds to to fill in the stuff behind your blue screen, your green screens, or whatever. Um, Ralph Batchkey said basically no comment. Um, like <laughs> he he just his comment was no comment, um, and this is a guy who was like the king of of you know tracing. Um, if he says no comment, like how bad does he really think it is? Um, and so I know that like the, the Commodore or the corridor subreddit, they, they noted that, that he said, let's see the, the guy who, uh, where is it? Um, this sudden change can be a scary thing, especially if it feels like your passion or livelihood is on the line. Um, they're exploring the the use of cases of their AI model as a means to help shine a light into the fog for everyone wanting to bring their imaginations to life. But this is still part of the whole big AI generated image controversy of your, I mean, I know that the couple the couple of the companies that do this are now being sued like by a lot of these, you know, stock jet, like stock footage people and stuff like that, because they're like, you're stealing other people's work just because it's online and available you're using it to train your ai you're not getting any permission a lot of these this work that you're using is copyrighted you know if you were to use only non-copyrighted material your ai generated images would be just dog shit so for people because people have approached me like look at this thing i made in this this ai generator and you're like you didn't make shit you, you honestly did nothing. You you typed in a couple of, of keywords, including the style you wanted to rip off. It went through, you know, however long it took to generate this image. But at, at the end of the day, all you did was type some words. You you didn't put, you know, pencil to paper. You didn't, you pick up a mouse or a, a pen on a screen or anything like that to create this artwork. It's, to me, it's, it's, it's theft, 100% theft. Like, yeah, you're 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 merging a style with some other images and with because you come up with this great idea. But that doesn't really make you an artist, really, does it? I'm yeah, thinking. I've got
1: some complex views and all this kind of stuff. And I hadn't seen this uh, rock, paper, scissors until you mentioned it. So while you were talking, I've been watching it. Yeah, and it's pretty damn interesting. It is. That's for it's- sure. Like as a technology and to me, it all comes down to technology. Like, that's what it is. It's like, this is a new way that you can express yourself using these tools. Yeah. And yeah. as far as AI goes, it, I agree that it's complicated. <laughs> oh, well, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating technology that you can enter some keywords and get an image. Yeah. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, as... For as brainstorming, like if you want to know what something would look like or, you know, you just yeah, need something like a for, spark for, of for, creativity. For,
0: for designing or your prototyping, you're like, hey, what would the rock look like as a Jedi? So yeah. it'll like take the rock space and throw some Jedi robes. On. I'm like, oh, OK, so now we have a basis of where we want to start.
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, a friend I grew up with who's in Hollywood doing art for feature films he did a bunch of stuff he's like hey guess which actor this is it's like well obviously that's baby jason momoa mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just this little baby with like the goatee and the tattoos and stuff and he went through a bunch of actors and did like little baby versions of all these actors and yeah i could tell immediately which one each
0: yeah guy is. well i i have a friend and, who who works in a, a works for a company and that's a lot of what they do is the the previs design stuff and he's like, this the AI generated stuff is great for like when you're showing a client and they want to see 30 mock ups. And then they're like, oh, by the by, this act this character is now being played by this actor. So now you can change all those mock ups to look like that actor with whatever the costume design is, or whatever whatever it is you want that character to look like in the film. So it's a great previs tool. Yeah. But to then say, hey. Well, why don't we just take the actor, and we're gonna throw him in, a, in, in 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 the costume. We'll film everything on green screen, and then we'll just run it through this this AI generated filter to now it's gonna look like you know like Vampire Hunter D style or or you know um, any of the old favorite you know we're gonna make it look like like uh, uh, what's the the Akira? We're gonna do Akira animated with live action people and then we'll just make it look like it's all hand-drawn, but look like it's still in the same style of the original Kira movie. See, but even
1: that, okay, Disney has had a certain style that they've had forever. Anime has mm-hmm. had a certain style that they've had forever. You know, like there's artists that do different things, fine, but there's a certain look that mm-hmm. a lot of these things tend to kind of gravitate towards. So it's kind of the same thing in well, a weird that, so- way.
0: So my friend who does this design work, he said, they, you know, it just as a a thing of see if they could, they were like, well, let's design this as if it's all done as like a, a Disney animated movie. And he's like, so they were feeding it images, but realizing all the images they're feeding are copyrighted images. Like he said, if Disney knew what they had been doing, you know, there would have been an army of Disney lawyers pounding at their door, like within minutes like stop using our stuff so they generated out the images and they're like okay but we can't show this shit to anybody because of the source material we used to get to this point that's where the legality is starting to shine through because you know disney protects their stuff very harshly so you show up and like hey look at this you know all these concepts i have and and this five-minute animated film I did, done in Disney style, and the first thing Disney's going to say is, "So you said you used an AI-generated image maker to make this, right?" Yeah, yeah. Where did the AI get the images it uses? The source images to help come, uh, and that's when the lawsuits hit. So I think right now, for I think for Corridor to claim that their AI-generated anim- animation anime will change animation forever. I think you're stepping on too many toes. Um, because it's just—I mean—until the legality of AI-generated images gets resolved, I think you're 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 treading on legally too many feet, and someone's finally going to say, "Fuck it, I've had it. That's enough. I'm suing a lot of you." And all it takes is one case to go their way, and you're going to see a ton more lawsuits show up. Yeah, maybe. Like, well, there's. So and there's
1: I guess it depends what images are being used. Too, well, there's right? a,
0: a very famous one of us. Like they they did this soccer one of, what is it they Pele, David Beckham, and some other soccer player, and you know they had the AI generate up all the images, but you could see very warped right by one of the guy's legs. It says Getty Images. So they used one of the Getty image, like the stock images that Getty has that are, you have to pay for. Well, obviously the AI generated anime or or image maker did not pay to use that image, but it used enough of the image that it even still had that Getty's image right across the lower leg of the one of the soccer players. This is where, you know, they're saying, well, and that's just it. Like the guy who, um, one of the heads of one of these companies doing the, the AI stuff has said, you know, he didn't want to think about the legality of what's going on, but it's going to be forced on to him pretty soon. Because his idea was, well, if the image is on the internet, then it's anybody's. It's it's an open forum. But that's not the case. I mean, look how many images you go to, and it'll say like stock image, stock image, all over it, or like an X across it, or you go to the site like, oh, you want to use this image? It's fourteen dollars ninety nine cents. Well, the AI generators are not paying that money to use that those, those images to help create these, these images that it finally comes out with. And I think that's where we're going to see a huge crackdown on these companies.
1: Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Guess it is true if you're co- doing a complete swipe of original protected copywritten art. Mm-hmm. And using it as your own, yeah, that's an issue. Well, if you're a, like, making the, money off it,
0: the the one I think Stable Diffusion even says it has basically the entire like ArtStation website. It has all those images as images it uses when it's generating stuff. Most of that stuff is copywritten by the artists who make it. Like ArtStation goes out of their way to make sure if you submit to ArtStation, like put up an image through ArtStation, you are protected under their copyrights so that it is still yours and your, and if someone wants to then take it, like slap turn it into a decal and slap it on their car, or print it out and put it on their wall, they have to pay you. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's protected under copyright laws. These AI generators are not, they're just ignoring that. And they're like, well, we're just using part of that image, but you just admitted to using the image in some, some fashion, you know, it's, this is, I think, where the, the legality is going to start hitting. Just like if I decide to make a movie and then deep fake Marlon Brando's face over someone else's face, and I train that deep fake really, really well so people can't even tell. And even every all of Marlon Brando's friends are like, Did he really do this? I would be legally liable. The, the estate of Marlon Brando, I'm sure, would come after me.
1: Like, okay, so but let's do like a macro view of this whole thing. Okay. All right? So no legalities aside, and or at least push sort well, of to the Bruce side. Willis anyway. has has sold the, the
0: digital rights to his his likeness. Yeah, that's right. So he's one of the first people to step forward and say, "All right, you want to use my digital likeness? There's a fee you have to pay, but then go ahead, use my yeah. my digital likeness." I I can foresee in the next ten years a lot of celebrities doing that, a lot of people doing that, saying, "I'm my likeness is my cop is is I'm going to copyright it." You want to use it. There's a fee you have to pay to my estate or to, to whoever. But then after you pay the fee, it's, you know, open season.
1: Well, because I remember
0: you're... way back in 2000, because I
1: was working on Final Fantasy, Spirits Within. And that was something that was going through Hollywood like crazy. Once they started seeing photo computer generated faces and characters, Hollywood was saying, oh, we're all going to be out of jobs. And they were freaking <laughs> out over what computers could do. And again, that was know kind of like an overhype at the time and at it never time. quite came to that but now we're getting later into, now we're starting to get into the deep fakes and the ais and all yeah. that kind of stuff but my hunch my gut feeling is it's just you know like the next generation of that same overhype see you like, will be able to do stuff like obviously yeah there's technological stuff yeah you well i think be like before but years i still ago, think it's good like um yeah, but, you know, almost like crying wolf to a certain extent
0: well i look at this 20 years ago the, the the hardware and the software wasn't there for people to to do this at home so like i remember steve williams telling us this whole story where um rennie harlan was in at ilm and they had just finished scanning um they, they'd scanned robert patrick from all sides for the terminator and she had asked you know rennie harlan, well, maybe she should get scanned so they have her likeness from all views at her age sort of thing. So as she gets older, if they need a younger version of her, they'll have a copy of it. And then, yeah, like in 2000, like, you know, in the early 2000s, people were like, oh, they're going to steal my likeness because they're going to scan my face from every angle and they'll be able to replicate me. But I think, again, the hardware and software wasn't available for public use, really. I mean, think about how powerful your computer was in the 2000, like a standard home computer and the software available at the time. I mean, you're using like morph and magic sort of bullshit. Now there's a lot more powerful 3D programs available, some for free. Hardware's coming down in price and the technology and basically the, the programs people are writing to make it easier to do deep fakes and stuff like that is becoming more prevalent. It's getting better. Like deep fakes from five years ago compared to now, there's it's a night and day comparison. The deep fake stuff you can do now, it's taking into account lighting in the the, the, the environment that you're putting it in. It's like, oh, according to from what we can see, there's a big light here, big spotlight here and a key light there. Would you like to use it? Absolutely. And it so it you know when it does the deep fake, it, it puts the lighting where it should be, so you're not having lighting moving around their face like five years ago. The lighting staying consistent the texturing is becoming more consistent it's getting better 10 years from now they'll probably do deepfakes so well that it would be almost impossible for someone to say that's fake unless the person who they're deepfaking comes forward and says i never said that i never did that that's 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 fake 20 years you know yeah they'll be able to make entire movies with just generic act like generic people, stunt people doing all the stuff, and then they just slam on the face of whoever they need to be starring in that film. But in the end, don't you think it's just a tool? It is, but the tool is getting
1: better. Um I like- was looking at that uh sequence of Tom Cruise for the next mission impossible, driving the motorcycle off the jump and then doing a like a skydive. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? Yeah, it's it's crazy and like that kind of stuff is always going to be exciting. I mean, you can deep fake that all you want, but unless it was deep faked and it was just exciting. Maybe it was, I don't know. Well, he likes to do all his
0: own stunts anyway. Exactly. Um, But you look at that kind of
1: stuff and it's exciting. And like, even looking at this rock paper scissor thing, Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks cool. I think if you stuck that in the hands of some traditional animators, like use that as either a reference point or a starting point and build on that. I, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do as a yeah, tool. Oh yeah, oh Like I even agree. Disney, Disney was rotoscoping stuff
0: all over the place. Oh, back back to, the right day. back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, they were yeah. rotoscoping. Um, but what I'm saying is, so when people say like this is a tool, like deep fake is a tool, I look at it as it's like a pencil is a tool, but it, when you take it back to a sharpened stick that you've, you know, flame hardened the tip, so you're kind of writing with you know, with the, the, the ashy tip Compare that to a pencil, compare that to an electronic pencil. It's still a pencil. It's just what it's capable of as you get better and better. Like as technology progresses, how much better it gets. I, th- I see deep faking and AI generated stuff kind of doing the same thing. Right now, it's that basic broken off stick, sharpened with a knife and flame hardened in a flame. So you can write with the, the ashy tip. That's where it is now. Give it 10 years, you're going to have more like a, a you know, a stylus quilt. Give it 20 years, it's going to be like a modern pencil. Give it 30 years, it's going to be like an electronic pencil. Yeah, There's give so it a,
1: a couple hundred years, you're going to have a holodeck.
0: Yeah, you're going to have something. No, computer, where some,
1: create me this thing.
0: Whereas as someone's writing out the script, the the AI off to the side is generating the scenes, generating the characters, generating everything, and creating the movie as they're they're typing up the script. I can see it getting that point, or as you dictate it into your microphone, it's generating the movie as fast as you're talking. I can see, it even that.
1: with that, I still think it's going to be like an artistic tool, where okay, the AI is creating this holodeck movie, but then the artist comes in. It's like, oh no, let's tweak this, let's fix this, you know, let's change well, it's, this, like, let um, character.
0: Andy Serkis saying that you know animators were no longer necessary now that performance capture not motion capture performance capture was becoming more and more prevalent like that was the big thing for avatar 2 it wasn't motion capture it's performance capture but i think a lot of people still don't realize that with all that performance capture that's not what made it to the screen that's still those things still went through the hands of an animator to go in and tweak
1: yeah anybody who works in animation and special effects knows that i know the general public might not because of like whatever news spin they put on it. But yeah, I mean, the amount of grueling hours that people have to go in and clean this stuff up yeah, and make I, it actually
0: I, look good. I remember getting footage of it was like two guys playing soccer. Um, the one guy was playing the there was like it was in essence by the end it was three guys, but one guy was doing double duty as two. Um, so it was two guys. One was dribbling the ball. The other was trying to get the ball away from him. And then he finally gets around and then he gets up to the net and he shoots. And then it's the the goalie like does the big stretch and it just passes his fingertips and scores. Mm-hmm. Um, all told, it was like just under a minute. And so they had it all motion captured. You know, they'd spent a lot of money. And this is like in early 2000s spent a lot of money motion capturing this, like rented this an enormous set. They had cameras everywhere. They had sensors on these guys. Um, The one guy had the magnetic suit and the other guy had the optical suit because they couldn't run two optical suits at the same time because the computers no. kept getting confused. So one was in magnetic, one was optical, which every time the, the guy who was optical went in behind the computer lost the dots. And so suddenly an arm's doing this behind the guy's head. And, you know, so they get this footage and they're like, all right, um, we're ready to just start rendering it. And so the studio I'm working at, it gets handed to us and I look at it and I'm like, that's not ready to render. not Because they were like, just just put it in a a soccer field and throw some lights on it and we're ready to go. And so I remember showing the footage to the director and he's like, why is it so crazy? I'm like, because this is raw motion capture data. It has to be cleaned up, you know, it, they kind of look like floating, like they were floating and suddenly the limb would go crazy and then they're floating. I'm like, yeah. they have no weight. Because yes, while it's perfect representation of what was on the going on in the field, there's errors, errors in the data. And as an animator, you go and you kind of like deepen some of the, the, the squashes, you heighten some of the stretches, you over-exaggerate some of the things so that the layman watching it, they can follow what's being being shown, but they don't question what they're saying it's it's not a case of it being realistic it's being believable right because when you're
1: faking it you have to make it hyper real yeah and so fake real doesn't cut it
0: so as they showed up and like on a monday and they're ready to have it start rendering and be ready by friday it took me almost a month to clean up that footage like when like when the guy went behind and suddenly the the, the arms doing all this crazy thing i had to go in and reanimate that arm and make it believable because i'm like They wanted to keep changing the camera angles. It was initially static and now they wanted a floating camera. Well, I'm like, if you're doing a floating camera, that means the animation has to be good from all views because I don't know where you're going to put that camera because they wanted to animate the camera at the end. So I'm like, so I have to make the animation pristine regardless of the view you're going to end up picking because normally I animate to the camera and I can fake a lot. But now you're saying I can't fake any of it. So yeah, that's why it took like a month to clean up just over a minute of animation of these three guys. And I just remember seeing like the function curves. of like, oh, look, I'm looking at the function curve of the knee and it looks like an EKG of someone having the wildest heart attack in the world. And I got to clean that up to a nice smooth line, limit the, I mean, of course, there's a key on every goddamn frame. And at the time there weren't good tools for cleaning up function curves. You had to do it one at a time manually and it was a, a nightmare because, like, you know, each of these guys had 50 and 60 control points to, to move their body around that I have to go in and clean and then keep playing it back. Because sometimes when I clean, if I clean too much, I lose some of that special data. So I have to, yeah. So it, but even with motion capture today, you still, there's someone still having to do that. Very rarely will the data captured on the day of, of shooting is this exact, like, untouched, that's what hits the screen. It's never going to be the case. But you tell that to someone, and they're like, I don't understand. Well, Andy Sturkis said you don't need animators anymore. Okay, well. Yeah. So, yeah. That's my rant. I'll come off the soapbox now. (laughs) Good rant. Yeah. So when I saw this thing, I mean, I I thought it was kind of cool, the rock, paper, scissors, myself. I was like, it looks cool but I think some of the statements that they're making are basically it's a giant slap to the face to animators. Like they're not taking into account where this, this, these images are coming from. Um, even though they say, Oh, we use vampire hunter deep bloodlines to, to pull all our images. Yeah. That's the work of really good artists. That's copywritten work. I mean, now it's, I, I think it's, I think the copyright's starting to, to expire. It, I know it's available on like, youtube for free you can watch it but it's still that's someone's work you you just can't say well i we we shot this footage and we played around on the computer and, and look at all the stuff great stuff we created that's all ours yeah but it still came from somewhere um and yeah so i think it's i think some of the 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 criticisms that it's receiving is um it's honest. It's true. Like, you know, it's. I don't think an animator's job is going to be in jeopardy, but I think the layman out there who reads this is going to be, oh, yeah, we don't need animators anymore. We can just shoot this stuff on, on, on a green screen and, and run it through these filters and make our own animation. See, so let them let them do
1: that. Just like Andy Circus can, you know, shoot some mocap with no animators. Let's see how that turns out. Did you ever read that book, that Simulacra and Simulation? Mm-hmm um you know matrix was heavily you know i think i got
0: somewhere here in my bookshelf
1: yeah and what that's one thing i thought was so interesting where when you start doing a copy of 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 a copy like Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to get with this ai art eventually if you know if people just rely on that that's what you're going to get you're still going to have the true artists Mm -hmm. that are going to have the spark of creativity Right. So the AI can only do so much given the whatever data it has to work with. Yeah, but it is, the uh, humanity, you know, comes from the human still comes from well, the actual artist.
0: This is kind of like Star Wars. George Lucas created the sandbox. But when you get people who want to make a, a project in Star Wars and they stay in the sandbox, it begins. It gets stale and boring because people aren't willing to take that foot outside of the sandbox and introduce something and because they don't have the ideas of their own. Their ideas yeah. are generic. It's bullshit. It's
1: like so that, taking they, all these cool toys and telling generic stories about a, a bounty hunter that wants to take a bath. It's like, come on. Like, <laughs> holy crap, guys. Like, let's get into some actual deep philosophical stories. Well, some part of it is, is, artistic I think, adventures.
0: I think the Mandalorian, if they, I mean, they started it with the first season where it was almost like the Wandering Samurai like the 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 ronin out there, you know the ronin who is was it's like a lone wolf to, and cub type thing yeah yeah it it was it had that feeling of the ronin who was until he he got the the baby he was the ronin being you know getting assignments to, to to put rice in his bowl yep no longer had a master and then he gets his cub and now it's lone wolf and cub that's what it felt like that's why i think season 2 kind of got a little formless because it was like you know we're losing that whole lone wolf and cub sort of feeling because now he's got a whole crowd of people, and and then his you know ship goes away, so there goes the carriage. Um, and that's why I, I'm hoping they can kind of pull that back to that style for season three. Um, but that's less of a Star Wars story and more of the stuff that influenced George Lucas creating Star Wars, going back that far, and that's where you're pulling your your inspiration from, you're not pulling it from star Wars. You're pulling it from stuff that inspired star Wars.
1: Yeah. With season two for Mandalorian. It, to me, it felt like it was going from that lone wolf and cub. But then he's starting to kind of attract all these other kind of like minded characters into his universe. He's starting to uh, go back to, you know, the actual Mandalorians and he's, you know, running into Boba Fett. He's, bumping into luke skywalker you know
0: like he his universe is kind of getting bigger and i felt it was getting smaller because now he's starting to to bash against the characters from the movies he's not staying in that you know big like that sandbox as big as a galaxy that's why i liked it everything was getting closer because now he's starting to run into a lot of characters we already know um and for better for worse And we didn't, because in the first season, we kept that sandbox pretty wide. He didn't run into a whole lot of people that we knew from, like, the first trilogy, the second trilogy, or anything like that. They were referenced, but he didn't, he wasn't running into them face to face. So, And
1: I agree with what you're saying there, but I do like the fact that he kind of wandered to that edge. He bumped into those guys. And then season three, I wanted him to kind of wander over to Mandalore and then have that adventure. Like, it's... So he he touched that universe with the main characters, but now it's time to take it in the new direction and do your own thing with
0: it. But the instead of having a bath, yeah. Now the one thing I was happy about was first episode, no Tatooine reference, not one, not not a single. Hey, we got to go to Tatooine, or no, no Tatooine at all. It was different worlds. I was happy with that. Like he didn't go go visit someone. Oh, look, they're doing the big ceremony for for the the, the foundling. on Tatooine. Um, or hey, we gotta go visit Bo-Katan on Tatooine. Um, so we stay, we're staying away from. I mean, I know at some point we're gonna go back, but yeah. So it's just that's the part that I think when you're given the keys to say, hey, make a series. Here's the keys to the car. Go go nuts. Don't drive down all the same roads your parents just drove down. Pick a couple of new ones. You know, that's where you step one foot out of the sandbox, but pull your inspiration from the stuff that inspired George. That's what's going to make a successful Star Wars story. That's why Obi Wan failed so hard, because they stayed in that very narrow sandbox and did nothing new. And it's and
1: even a- worse than that, they tried to inject their own. Politics into it that's yeah. one thing I absolutely hate. Like, I mean, geez, we can talk about the Disney Peter Pan, <laughs> but it, when you take uh, an old story, something that was written by somebody else, in my opinion, you have to respect the intent mm-hmm. of the original author. If you're going to tell a Peter Pan story, like, look at what it was it's created by a Scottish author about a bunch of English kids. Yeah. The whole idea of the lost boys being, you know, because the boys don't know how to grow up and they need that maternal figure. The, the one heroic character in that story was Wendy, because she was the one who could grow up. She could show them how to mature, yeah, and turn into men. And this, what I'm seeing in this new Disney trailer, where already, I, God, I hate the race swaps and everything, I and do. then also turning the Lost Boys into Lost Boys and Girls, and all this kind of stuff. Like it, you're losing the intent of what this story is. I mean, you can talk about that with Rings of Power too. It, it just keeps going on and on and on. We're updating it for a modern audience. It's like, no, you're not, you're not updating anything. You're no, absolutely butchering the original intent of the author. Like if you have these great story ideas, write a story, go ahead, like there's nothing stopping you. Or if you wanted Watch Minute, fine. Like you can take those ideas, change the names and update it for a modern audience and tell your own story fine but no it's a bunch of hacks that take these old classic characters because they're not original enough to come up with their own and then they just take these old characters and butcher them and try and cash in on it and I'm so sick to death of it <laughs> that I go absolutely mental anytime I see this kind of crap so I forget the point I, was I feel making.
0: a lot of the same way because it's 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 like oh we want to grab the the built-in fan base for this character but I want to throw my own agenda in
1: And then shit on all the fans. That's what gets me the most. Like, okay, D&D. Troy gave me some snarky gift for that. But the fact that they intentionally said they're emasculating all the male characters because they want the female characters to stand out. Like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, we're created male and female for a reason. Like, it's a yin-yang relationship that we have going, right? Like, you don't have to make all the men weak for women to be strong, right? You can have a super strong male and a super strong female. And in fact, that's better if you have that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's completely ridiculous, this logic that's going on in Hollywood. I don't know if this is university education that's, (laughs) you know, fueling all these scripts or what. But it's insane. So you keep doing that, and then you wonder why nobody wants to see your movies, especially because guys like male power fantasy stories. And guess what? You know, most women like strong males as well. You know, most females don't like a bunch of emasculated men it's crazy. So that's my rant on all that.
0: Yeah. I just, I, I'm staying away from, was it Peter Pan and Wendy? Is it called the, the, yeah, new series? yeah I just, when I started hearing about their, all their big plans for what, and I'm like, D- did you even read Peter Pan? I'm sure Frank L. Baum would really like it if you read the book <laughs> uh, and not just base all of your knowledge of Peter Pan off of the animated movie. Or worse yet, the, the terrible sequel. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm hundred percent sure. If you actually read the book, you'd be like, oh, oh, with well, some things that we, we we need to explore here. Not like, hey, I got an idea. Let's use Peter Pan and Wendy for for the name recognition, and I'm going to tell a story about a gorilla. And you're like, well, what the fuck do Peter Pan and Wendy have to do with it? Nothing whatsoever. Just to drag the fans in, so I can shit on them that's oh, you're what just racist like. against gorillas it just i i'm i'm tired of like with the yeah, willow was such a letdown that was just like hey we're going to take the characters from the movie willow and that's going to drag all the all the fans in of the movie and the first thing we're going to do is shit on them that's that's what, what pisses letdown.
1: me off the most is that they do that and they're getting so um I don't know, I guess comfortable in their position doing that yeah. where they're proud of it. Like they virtue signal online, about Oh, we're going to destroy all your characters.
0: Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm personally, I'm tired of the, like, so they, they recently came, Disney recently came out with the uh, moon girl and devil dinosaur. Now I've been watching it from time to time with, with my girls. It's a fun show. Um, yeah. So moon girl is a very strong female character devil dinosaur is well devil dinosaur um they they're not really pushing any sort of feminist agenda they're not like oh see she's a girl but she can do everything a guy can and she's super smart they're just like she's moon girl this is what she is this is who she is she's a, a super smart girl she made a portal and now she's got devil dinosaur to look after and she figures the best way to do that is fight crime because the avengers are too busy doing all the world stuff and no one's looking after her her neighborhood so she's going to. It's a great premise. It's pulled off well. They're not pushing any sort of political or, or, or feminist agenda. They're just telling some fun stories.
1: And that's the way to do it, too. The moment you throw and you can always tell that in the writing. It's like, well, I can be as strong as any man. Immediately, you're throwing in that contrast. And you're throwing in the comparison. And you're making the character seem weak. that's one thing i liked about the first wonder woman the patty jenkins the very Mm -hmm. first one is she seemed just like a strong female character yeah like it was funny
0: is so in moon girl her her best friend at one point says when she because she dresses up in her armor and she's got these little flight wings she's like so you're like iron man and she's like no he's got that cool suit this is what i can come up with so she acknowledges the fact that tony stark has this really cool iron man suit but it's not going to be her because She doesn't have, she she says, look, you know where we live. I'm no billionaire. He's got a really cool suit. This is all I can build with what I've got. And that was it. That was her total comparison to Iron Man. That was it. See, that's funny. Yeah. And she didn't, and it wasn't a case of like, oh, well, you know, Iron Man, I'm, I'm just as good as Iron Man. No, she just, she said, he's got money. He's got a really cool suit. And she doesn't. So she's going to make do with what she has and she's doing the best job she can with what she has. And she's doing a great job of it. To me, that's excellent writing. That's not like, well, I have to compare myself to someone else to make my, to make my, you know, my struggle that much better. It's like, she's not comparing herself to anybody. She's the only reason, the only comparison she's making is the Avengers are too busy to look after her blocks. So she's going to look after it for them, you know, her her the area she lives in needs a hero and she's got a dinosaur so why not um, so it's, it's stuff like that, that that to me gives me hope but then I see like what's happening like uh, so I, f- I just finally saw the second episode of the third season of the Owl House uh, this past like last week I just I missed it when it premiered Um my daughters love the Owl House and this whole thing with, you know, it's after this third episode, which is coming out in, in the summer, that's it. It's done. Because this was the only this was the concession they got was third season, you get to do three 45-minute episodes, and then it's done. Um, all because one exec is uncomfortable with the idea of the the hero being bisexual. Um, And I'm just like, you know, it's a strong female. She's not comparing herself to men to to show how strong she is. She's just Trying to save her and her friends. What's wrong with that? Honestly. But rankled some Disney exec. Anyway, um, but it's getting less and less of these sorts of shows showing up. It's more of this continuing, let's take an established character to, to drum up interest and and bring in the fan base and immediately shit on them because I have my own social agenda I need to push. And I'm like, I I don't care. That's why every morning I watch Bluey because there's no social agenda. It's just great storytelling. And I love the episode where the one uses broccoli to turn her parents and her sister into different animals. Yeah. And I will say in Bluey, I can't stand the character of Muffin. Even though she's not an only child, she acts like one and I really don't like that behavior in kids. Anyways, yeah. So that's my rant. Don't like Muffin. But what's nice is in Bluey, they introduce all different types of char- characters you like, characters you dislike based on personalities, just like in real life. Muffin's family is going through an upheaval because the dad works from works uh, long hours away from, from family when he comes home. Him and his wife fight over how they parent, just like in real life. So, yeah. Go Bluey. If you don't like Bluey, I don't know if you and I can be friends. I really don't. So if you come to me up on the street and say, I don't like Bluey, I'm going to hang a beating on you. So. Because I have to I say to Bluey, I don't even know who you are. Well, Mike, you're missing out. Honestly, I think if you started watching Bluey, you would stop watching Naruto and Bruto. You at least put it on hiatus until you got through all the seasons of, of Bluey. Uh, maybe after the time skip. Yeah, you'll be like, oh. I'm gonna to go to watch Bluey for a while and your family will be like, What what are you watching this for, Dad? And two minutes later they'll all be like crowded around the TV going, When's the next episode? Skip to the next episode, Dad. Skip to the next episode. Trust me, it'll happen. It happened to me, and I didn't want it to, but it did. You get caught up on these little Australian blue healer dogs. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's gonna wrap up all we have to say, unless there's there's any new news, any new things.
1: I don't think so. No,
0: I think Bluey covered in it. Yep. Go Bluey. Blue healers. Tell you. They they cover a lot. So if you've been sticking around with us, listening to us rant and rave, mainly rant, well, some raves, um, thanks for listening in. And if you're catching it on YouTube, enjoy the wonder, wonderful vistas that are our, are our offices. And you can even see, let's see, right uh, uh right there is one of my... Uh, things i got from uh, london baker street with uh oh this one the little uh, silhouette of sherlock holmes city of london um unfortunately i didn't get to to visit baker street uh just because there was so much else to do while we were in london next time definitely going to visit it it was a great it's it's a fun little license plate anyway anyways um thank you so much for listening to us rant and rave if you're still listening to us look at you go you and uh, I think we're, we're going to try to do a collective goodbye.
1: Yeah, and watch Picard. All right, yes. let's go. Ready, in three, two. Collective, collective goodbye. goodbye. Best one yet. Take that for it. Good night, folks. This has been
0: Geeking Off the Page, a
1: Planet Geek production. Please be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can find us at our social medias through Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Search for Planet Geek Productions. On Instagram and Twitter,
0: Planet Geek Pod.
1: Or you can send us an email at planetgeekpod at gmail.com. So until next bad time, same spider channel, may the
0: force be with you, and thanks for tuning in.